Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the entrance. She went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. They've taken the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen cloths, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with the linen cloths, but was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand the scripture, which said that he must rise from death. stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb. And saw two angels there, dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head, the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. They have taken my Lord away. And I do not know where they have put him. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? She thought he was the gardener. So she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. She turned toward him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni. This means teacher. Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet gone back up to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to him who is my father and their father. My God and their God. So Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and related to them what he had told her. It was late that Sunday evening and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Then Jesus came, stood among them. Peace be with you. After saying this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. 
As the Father sent me, so I send you. Then he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Unless I see the scars of the nails in his hands, and put my finger on those scars, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were together again indoors, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. Put your finger here and look at my hands. Then reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop your doubting and believe. My Lord and my God. Do you believe? Because you see me. How happy are those who believe without seeing me. In his disciples' presence, Jesus performed many other miracles which are not written down in this book. But these have been written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you may have life. Last Resurrection Day, we preach through John chapter 20, entitled Jesus is Alive. Today we'd like to declare the truth that Jesus is continuing. Can we say that? The last time I spoke from John 19, the passage of the crucifixion, Jesus declared he was finished. And we declare the truth that Jesus is finished. The word finished there implies that a bill was paid in full. He was finished. Our redemption was complete. Our debt for justice has been paid through Christ who died a death that was unjust to serve justice for us, like a parent paying a fine for their child to free them from incarceration. So Christ came as an innocent man and paid our fine, accepted our penalty, became our sacrifice before the eyes of God's justice, and redeemed us so that now we no longer have to be separated from God because of our sin. We no longer have to die without hope because of our sinfulness, but through his redemption that he did for us on the cross, it 
is finished. Who's glad about it? But Jesus personally isn't finished per se. He's not going to just stop. But he came on a mission that is to be continued. And part of that mission was to redeem mankind. But also part of that mission is to bring mankind into the benefit of his redemption. And so that's what we are about. Jesus is continuing. The first thing he did in continuing is he connects us to God. He told the woman, Mary Magdalene, do not cling to me, verse 17, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. The old King James translated it, don't touch me. The word he used could mean touch or it can mean cling to. I personally believe He's saying, don't hold on to me. Go make connections with my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to the Father. Now, some people believe, if you believe this, it doesn't bother me. He didn't want to be touched because he was going to ascend to the Father that day and present himself as the resurrected lamb, having paid for the sins of the world, completing the transaction to connect us to his Father. Beautiful. And then eight days later, he's telling Thomas, hey, touch me. Touch me. Touch me. So you can believe that or other views as he's saying, don't hold on to me. We're making a transition here. I'm going to be ascending here in a little while. And you're going to have my brothers to relate to. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, which is what happened ultimately. The next point is Jesus proclaims peace to us. Now, I'm including us because I have never been through any ordeal and prayed where I didn't receive peace. May not have the answer yet, may not find the solution yet, may still be sick as a dog, but I have peace in knowing that he heard my prayer. So his first words to his disciples when he appeared to them, that same day at evening, being the first of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Notice the word be is in italics. Literally, he said, Peace with you. Or he said, Shalom, y'all. His peace is a wholeness. There's a completeness about his peace. There's a depth to it. It's not a shallow peace. Some of the peace we see politically around the world is very shallow because it's made on truces and compromises and contracts and covenants that are being broken. But the peace that he gives is a result of his ultimate conquest over the enemy and over death and that even though death is still our enemy, death no longer has to dominate us through the fear of it. That we can face death through his grace fearlessly because he puts death under our feet. Death for us as believers is simply a transition from this state to a spiritual state. It's an awesome thing. He gives us peace as a result of conquest. He didn't make a deal with the devil. He conquered the enemy. Triumphant over him made an open spectacle, what the Bible says. He proclaims peace to us, and he sends his people armor. This is the crux of the message. Verse 21, he said to them again, Peace to you, as a father has sent me. I also send you. Earlier in the book, he had told Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever would believe in him 
would not have to perish but might have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came. He was given to be lifted up on the cross, to die for our sins, so that through faith in him we could inherit eternal life and this shalom peace that he's proclaiming to his people. It's a wonderful thing, but it doesn't stop there. There's people that haven't heard. There's people that haven't seen. There's people that haven't experienced. And so just as Jesus was sent, as a father has sent me, I also send you. Tell your neighbor, you've been sent. We've been sent to continue the ministry he began. What was his ministry? If you read in the Gospels, he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, into the synagogue that he grew up in. This is like his home church and reads from Isaiah chapter 61. That whole chapter is like a mission statement for Jesus. It's like his manifesto. It's what he's about. And I believe those things in Isaiah 61, don't read it now, read it another time. They're things that we're to be involved in. And we're not just talking pulpits and churches and pews and buildings. We're talking wherever we are, we are to be agents of his, realizing we've been sent. Just like Jesus was sent, we've been sent. Did the Lord open our eyes to that? Fourthly, Christ promises the Holy Spirit or he prescribes the Holy Spirit. When he said this, he breathed on them, verse 22, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He like, in his glorified body, I'm sure those lungs could hold some serious breath. And he blew on all of them and told them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Luke chapter 24 ends with the commission to go wait in Jerusalem to receive the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. Luke writes his next book, Acts chapter 1. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem. For the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. You receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me throughout the world. And so this, to me, again, is another prescription or a promise of them receiving the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that's where they receive. You want to believe that? That's fine. I believe that's where they begin to walk or enter in to the fullness that ultimately happened for them in Acts chapter 2. May God enable us all every day to pray, Lord, I want to receive your spirit today. Empower me, fill me to overflowing with your spirit that I might do your will in your strength. He's calling us onward. He's given us peace. So from a position of peace, we move forward. We don't move toward peace. We move from peace. Amen? So there's a reason for days off. There's reasons for rest. There's reasons for even vacations. There's time to rest and recoup. So from that position, we move forward in the power of his spirit. So he meets us coming and going. He's connected us to God. He's given us his peace. And he sends us forward in the power of his Holy Spirit. You see those four things there. It's important. Fifthly, he commissions us to forgive. Can we say commission? Verse 23, he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. This is tremendous. If you forgive the sins of any, those sins are forgiven. The second half of this, I think, is a warning. It's not a commissioning. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In other words, if we hold on to unforgiveness, 
we will not taste the benefits of forgiveness. Unforgiveness is like an acid that does more damage to the vessel in which it is stored than it does for the vessel for which it is stored. Unforgiveness does more damage like acid in a vessel in which it is stored than it does in the one for which it is stored. It's like cutting off your nose to spite your face. I'm going to hold bitterness. I'm going to put that person on probation. Meanwhile, we're the one in jail. We're the one locked in the past. Christ commissions us. He connects us to God. He gives us His peace. He sends us onward to be His representation. We do it in the power of His Spirit. And what are we to do? Part of what we're doing is proclaiming the forgiveness of sin everywhere we go. Now, one of the world's largest denominations believes that their leaders are called to forgive sins and called to retain sins. So certain sins demand the retaining of them for a set period. So you learn your lesson. So if a woman has had an abortion, their leaders will withhold the absolution from that sin for 10 years, holding it over your head for 10 years. That, my friend, is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus is saying. And there's no second witness in the word. You know, anytime you have a doctrine, you've got to have more than one witness. There's no second witness in the word that would even echo that. Unforgiveness is a sin. How dare Jesus commission us to walk in unforgiveness? Retaining sin? No. This, I believe, is the root to many of our addictions. We've been hurt by somebody. We have unforgiveness in our heart towards that person, and we've become addicted to a certain behavior, substance, or whatever. And we become just like the person we're holding unforgiveness towards. It's like we've judged someone. And when you judge someone, what happens? You walk in the same thing. It ties you to it. There's a form of execution in the ancient world where if you killed someone, they would tie that carcass to your body until the rotting decay of that carcass killed you. Jesus came to set us free, saints. Let the carcasses go. Are people worthy of being forgiven? No. Were we worthy of what Jesus did on the cross for us? No. He came to give us that unconditional love. He came to give us that peace. Not just for us to hoard it to ourselves, but for us to give it away. To me, this circles back around to peace. We proclaim peace to our enemies. This lines up with the Sermon on the Mount. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hurt you. If you do this, you'll be like your Father in heaven who makes it rain on the just and the unjust. You know, when it rains, who gets blessed? Everybody. Everybody. Why does God do this? In hopes that man will wake up to the fact that there's a loving God. The Lord help us walk in the reality of our command to forgive and the authority we've been given to help proclaim that to this world that is eat up with unforgiveness. Eat up with it. Jesus gives faith to doubters. You know, sometimes in the continuing of this ministry, you'll run across opposition. Everybody's not going to be happy that you want to serve the Lord. Everybody's not going to be pleased. And you're going to wonder, Lord, is it worth it? And here's Thomas. His face has been greatly shaken. Eight days later, some people believe this was another Sunday. His disciples were again inside, Thomas with them. Remember, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my 
fingering his scars. Jesus came, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. He brings peace to Thomas. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Believing is a choice. It really is. You know, you can look at evidence and determine whether or not to believe in it or not. You can. There's always an opinion, always another spin, always a different perspective, another viewpoint, another vantage. Do I want to believe this or not? Because what you believe determines what you have to do. Do you really believe in Jesus? Do you really believe he's called you to continue what he's begun? He certainly called us to do more than sit in church. He's called us to be a light everywhere we go. But we can't do that unless we believe he's called us. Well, I'm just not going to believe that. Well, that's a choice you're making. How's it working for you? Living life your own way your whole life, how's that been working out for you? There's going to be a lack of peace, a lack of fulfillment, a lack of joy. Christ blesses future believers. Listen to what he said to Thomas. This speaks to us. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He gets a revelation. I mean, this guy becomes a full-blown believer. He's jumped from believing Jesus is resurrected to believing that he's God. A governor in this region 30 years later wrote, his name was Pliny, he wrote that Christians at the time were singing hymns to Jesus as though he were a God. What a friend we have in Jesus. We've been doing that for centuries because he's revealed himself to us. And this blessing is ours. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. By grace are you saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. If you've become a believer, God has given you the ability to believe. And you have followed up with that gift by enjoying the fact he's given you the ability to believe. He's given it to you. So we are blessed. We haven't seen him yet. And yet, we believe. Thomas was so transformed, he took the gospel to India and planted seven congregations that are still there today. They're dead spiritually. They need a revival, seriously. Other missions agencies had to go in there and really do things for the Lord because they just got so hooked into their past. But Thomas, in his generation continued the ministry of Jesus, had fruit that remained. So if Thomas can be transformed, all any of us can. Amen? And he did much more. Jesus is continuing to the point that he did much more than we know. And I believe that even in our day, he's doing a whole lot more behind the scenes than we realize. Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. The last chapter, the next chapter, ends with these words, verse 25 of John 21. There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written by one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, look at all the books that have been written about Jesus. 
based on these four little books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've got more than enough information to be believers. If you're always on a quest for more proof, maybe you're not wanting to be a believer. We heed his call to not be unbelieving, but be believing. And finally, we can now have life in his name. These are written, verse 31 of John 20, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the sent one, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, in English, his name is Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. In Spanish, it's Jesus. In Swahili, it's Jesu. In Greek, it's Jesus. Life in his name. When we call on his name, we find salvation. But this is more than salvation. This is life. Day-to-day life. In his name, I believe, speaks of this. If you check out a good dictionary, the words in the name of, will be in there. It's a phrase that has a definition. In the name of means representation. In the name of means ownership. In the name of means authority. In the name of means power of attorney. Representation. Mayor Nin Hewlett is our current mayor, elected by the citizens of Granbury. And he is serving in capacity to hopefully corral the city council and get some things done as our representative. That's his goal, right? He's there in our name. Now, our physical names aren't anywhere in his office, but if you understand the definition of the word in the name of, it means representation. He's our representative. It's a whole lot easier to have one guy handle things for us than all of us in there arm wrestling and yelling and, you know, trying to get things done. It's order. Jim Keever and Brian Birdwell represent us in Austin. If they were here today, they would say, yes, hopefully we're representing you. They're there in our name. We are here in Christ's name, representing him. You and I are the only Jesus some people will ever see. My dad's an old school preacher, and he used to say, Boy, people will either read your life and open their Bible, or they'll read your life and slam their Bible shut. Awesome position, representation. It implies ownership. Any car owners in here, your car's paid for? You have a title to that car, right? Whose name is your title in? Your name. Ownership in the name of. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We've been owned by the master. We live in his name. Amen. The word in the name of also implies authority. Kyle's brother, Randy, is a lieutenant in the sheriff's department. The sheriff has deputized Lieutenant Ellis and other deputies to represent him. Sheriff Dees was elected by us to be our representative in the sheriff's department and given him authority to enforce the law in Hood County. And if you're speeding down the road or doing something wrong or asked to move over by Lieutenant Ellis, you'd best do it because if you resist him, it's as though you're resisting Sheriff Dees. As he's been authorized and deputized. If you and I are walking in humility, seeking to do the will of Jesus, and people resist us, who are they really resisting? 
Jesus. So don't take it personal. They slap you on one cheek, give them the other. What about the other? Call Lieutenant Ellis. <laughs> it also means power of attorney, which to me kind of relates to all three of the previous things. If, you know, if you're in another country and someone wants to buy your car, it, the, the transaction can be done if you've signed a power of attorney for someone to conduct business for you. Christ has given us authority to stand in his place. I'm not saying I am Jesus. I'm not saying that. But I am part of his body. I'm connected to him. And I've been given a power of attorney according to his will to participate in the continuation of the ministry he began. You and I have been called to do this. So we've been given peace. We've been given authority. And we've been deputized to walk in forgiveness. I feel like there's some here who may be getting ripped off from experiencing the fullness that Christ has for you in participating in the continuation of his ministry because of unforgiveness. I'll tell you a little story that happened to my dad when I was a kid. We were in Liberia from 65 to 69. And during those years, the Lord used my dad to go to Ghana and do some ministry. And his denomination wanted to send a missionary there. So my dad made several trips there to prepare the way so the missionary could get a visa to go live there. One of his first trips there to do this, he got robbed. When he left his hotel room that night, he was impressed to leave his air ticket and his passport in the room. And when he got robbed, he got knocked down, knocked out. His pockets ripped off of his britches and his wallet taken and his watch ripped off his arm. And he wakes up in the rain. And the police are contacted, and they come rescue him and help him. And a few days later, they contact and say, hey, we think we know who those guys are. You want to press charges? And my dad thought, you know, I'm here not to make enemies. I'm here, and he prayed, and the Lord impressed him not to press charges, just to forgive whoever it was. He didn't remember what they looked like anyway. So why participate in something that might create more injustice? So he forgave. A few weeks later, he's back in that country, and he gets arrested, being accused of being a spy. So he's in this tent. There's only two folding chairs, and the guards are sitting in the folding chairs, and he has to stand until the guards fall asleep. Then he sits on the table and notices there's a file, and here's these different reasons why they think he's a spy in the file. And suddenly he remembered the name of an official that helped him when he got robbed, Mr. Aqua. So he woke the guys up, said, I'd like to speak to Mr. Aqua. Oh, that's it. We knew you were a spy. How else will you know him? Blah, blah, blah. They contacted Mr. Aqua. And he came in and met my dad and began to yell at these men. He said, we need this man in this country more than we need you. This man could have filed charges on people that robbed him, and he didn't do it. He forgave them. Pick up his bags and apologize to him. And they became his personal escorts for the rest of that day. Anyway. To me, that's a great illustration. Forgiveness may make you think you look like an idiot. And I'm not saying there's not a time to press charges. You know? I'm not saying that. But there's always a time to forgive. Romans 13 says the police exist as God's servants. 
Take them out of the world. This place won't be fit to live in. There's too much sin. We've got to have the police. Yes, but they cross that thin blue line. Yes, they do. But you take them out of the world, there's a problem. I'm impressed to share another thing. Uh, I had a dream a few years ago, and it was for somebody, obviously. But I was in the dream doing something I shouldn't have in my car and got pulled over by the police and arrested and cuffed. And I'm being put in the squad car. And as I'm being put in the squad car, a policeman drops something in my pocket, plants some type of evidence on me. And now I'm in the squad car, and I, I don't know what's in my pocket, but it's going to be, I know it's going to be used as evidence against me. And I wake up, and I instantly know the meaning which was to be a warning for somebody. And here's the meaning of the dream. Don't live so close to lawlessness that you make yourself vulnerable to some corrupt official to take advantage of you. Walk that straight and narrow road. So the jails are full of people saying it was a corrupt policeman, it was a corrupt policeman. Meanwhile, they were living in darkness and fudging here and there and put themselves in a position to be falsely accused. All right, that was for free. We are called to help continue the ministry of Jesus. Who wants to answer that call? Lord, we've come today to be encouraged. We want to do your will. We thank you, Lord, for what you did for us on the cross. Lord, help us to help humanity find you in whatever way that is in our jobs, our homes, our neighborhoods, our families. Help us, Lord, to walk in the love that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a wonderful ministry. We have two representatives here from Gideon's International. It's been around for generations. The purpose of this ministry is to provide Bibles for people in motel rooms, prisons, schools, all around the world. And Today's representatives here is James Long and Larry Terman, and uh, in a minute we'll turn the service to James Long, but right now, let's watch this video. I got involved with drugs, alcohol, uh, prostitution. I was just trying to find something to fill the void that was in my life. I thought maybe if I had more things or had more drugs, maybe that would be the solution but it wasn't. It was a park similar to this right here, uh, occupied by homeless. And I remember that, that Saturday morning, I had got up early, took a couple of hits of acid, tooted some coke, and I went for a walk in that county park in Battle Creek, Michigan. Here I was, a reject from the military, my third wife and walked out on me, and I just felt there's nothing else left but to commit suicide. But then there were some men in the park that day. They was witnessing to the homeless, and they were giving them these little testaments. And one of them came up to me, had a big smile on his face, and he said, do you know Jesus? And that young man, he took that little testament and he opened it and he showed me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
And I personalized that. For God so loved Leroy Kennedy that he gave his only begotten son. Then he opened it to the book of Romans, and he showed me how I can pray and ask Jesus to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. It was that day I prayed. I asked Jesus to forgive me. I asked him to come into my heart, clean up my life, and to make me somebody. And the Lord heard that prayer, and the Lord answered that prayer. And I want you to know I was instantly healed from my dependency of drugs. And I, the rehab centers didn't do it, but when I asked Jesus to come into my life, my life was cleaned up, and I was clear-headed of the drugs. And you know, for the first time, that void that I had been carrying around all of my life, all of a sudden it was, I felt like a new person. I, I felt whole. I felt complete. Praise God, we have a living Christ who's still in the saving business, and we can continue spreading the word that he is the Savior. Again, International Association of Born Again Christian Business and Professional Men and Their Wives who place the Bible, place the Word of God in the world with one simple purpose, and that's to win the lost souls of women, men, boys, and girls to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We place Bibles, as the pastor said, in the hotels, motels, hospitals, convalescent homes. We put them in schools, colleges, police, fire, medical buildings. We also distribute them in prisons. We do need your prayers here in Granbury and in Hood County and in Somerville that we will be allowed back into the Granbury and the the Somerville County Independent School District schools to hand the Bibles to the fifth graders. So pray for us in that. I have a wonderful praise about our ministry here in Hood and Somerville County. Our jail ministry is alive and well, which serves the women in jail in the the Somerville County Jail and and our youth detention center here in Granbury. I'm happy to report that over the several, last several months, we've had several women and several boys and girls who saved, who've been saved, received Christ as their Savior. And also, we've had the opportunity through Tim White, to, uh, our Celebrate Recovery Director here in Hood County, that we have baptized many of those new believers. They have dedicated their lives to the Lord, and they've shown that dedication about obedience of being baptized. We're so thankful that we have people, and even people in this church, who participate in that ministry. I know Claire participates on Monday night in the Juvenile Detention Center, and we have those other Gideons who do that. We are thankful for them that they're committed to serve in this difficult arena. As members of local churches, you serve with the Gideons by providing the funds that we need to have 197,000 Gideons and about 105,000 auxiliary around the world, where in 197 countries we distributed approximately 84 million scriptures last year. Thank God for that. In the history of the Giddings, we've distributed almost 1.9 billion scriptures throughout the world. We do truly believe in Isaiah 55:11, which says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Those are the words of the God's gospel, and may we be glorified by the placement of the scriptures throughout the world. Well, we need your prayers, but we also need some funds that the continuing of this ministry will grow and we'll be able to place the scriptures that are necessary that all in the world that are lost will 
have the opportunity to read God's Word and to know Him as their personal Savior. You can provide, at the end of the service, you can provide cash. We'll take a check. You can also have a credit card. Hopefully you got a, a brochure when you came in. There's a credit card envelope in there that you can provide to help us do that. You can also help us throughout the year by using the Giddings Bible Card Program. We say send a card, send the Word, change a life. There is such a need in the world today. It's estimated that there's 4 billion lost that may not have had the opportunity to read God's Word and know Him as a personal Savior. So I'm not bashful about asking for your contributions to the kingdom of God, and I want to thank you in advance for partnering with the Gideons for this worldwide mission. Pastor Lotta, thank you for the opportunity to share about the worldwide ministry of the Gideons with you. Congregation, thank you for your attention. It's been a privilege to serve in your service today. God bless you. Thank you, James. Let's stand. If you're here today and you've not officially become a believer, it is simple. It's just calling on his name. Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. I believe in your death, burial, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. It's that simple. Don't I have to go public? Yeah. You can do that at water baptism. If you find yourself beginning to believe the gospel that you've heard every Sunday, anytime you visit church, it's a Bible-believing church, you're going to hear the gospel proclaimed in some way. You find yourself believing that. That is saving faith dawning in your heart. The Lord is waiting for you to go public. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord God Almighty cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may you take that peace and spread it everywhere in the power of His Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.